The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. can hear me. Um, I am excited that you are here with us. We are having massive technical difficulties, so we've had to reroute everything that we do. We do have Dr. Doreen Grampuchet, um, and she and I don't know if you can hear her through my computer, but I'm going to try to share my screen here uh, and see if we can get you. I believe that... Uh, <laughs> We're looking at a lot of different things here. I'm going to full screen you here and let's see if people can hear us and write in and tell us if you cannot hear us. But I'm going to assume, Dr. Grampuchet, that we are up and live and that they can hear you. And if you can't, it's not for lack of trying and let us know and Traven will let me know. So good morning. Can you hear me, Doreen? And I can hear you. So, um, and this is my worst nightmare. Like, <laughs> I don't like, like, but the nightmare that I have is that I have you and, and that I want to go live and that I have a computer and I can't, and that I have to push the buttons to make it happen. That's my worst nightmare. Right. Yes. Such such fun. So I don't know what uh, what Traven is currently up to right now, but we're going to assume that we are live. And welcome, everybody. I just want to tell you that we're trying. Traven is attempting to get us live on Facebook and on YouTube and on Periscope and Twitter at the moment. Be patient with us. Be gentle with us. But we are here. We care about you. There's Traven. Uh, I'm going to keep Traven in my ear over here. Traven, are we at least live on things and I can go ahead and go? And are they able to hear Doreen? He says we are live on things. This is very exciting. I and yes, so I'm gonna Trayvon. It okay to go ahead and ask questions? Yes, I am. I am full screen on Dr. Doreen, but I I see that I've got many many little windows. Ah, but that's okay. We only want to see you. I'm, it's not important to see me. Uh, <laughs> ah, apparently they're only seeing you in a very small box, but they can hear her. We're just going to go on. All right. Okay. I'm just going to start asking questions and we'll try to figure it out as we go, but I'm going to hang up on you, Traven. Okay. Uh, it is what it is. So Dr. Grampuchet, who is brilliant and a genius, and I, I said it, and it's true, uh, is going to answer your questions, and you may only see her a very little bit. But Dr. Doreen, what do you recommend when a child gets stuck? My son made great progress for two years with ABA, and then we plateaued. He is still making progress, but he used to fly through lessons, and now we seem to be languishing in the same spot for a long time. Is there something I'm missing? Is this normal? He's five. We still do almost 30 hours and I feel my window closing. Closing. All advice is appreciated. And while you answer, I'm gonna try to make your picture bigger. Go for it. Thank you. 
soul is not good and uh, you need to do a lot of different things to figure out why there is a plateau. So I'll talk a little bit about some of those things that you can try. Uh, behaviorally, you will need to look at the program and make sure the usual stuff is in place. That means, uh, are there enough reinforcers in place? Are there meaningful reinforcers? Because don't forget that kids, uh, their reinforcers change over time. So something that could be rewarding one day is not necessarily rewarding another day. So make sure that those reinforcers are in place. And then aside from that, you want to make sure the instructions are clear. You want to make sure the, uh, the therapists or individuals working with your child are uh, pretty consistent with each other uh, so that there isn't confusion. Sometimes there's a lot of confusion between, let's say, people who work with the child at home and people who work with the child at school or things like that. So make sure those things are consistent. Um, instructions have to be clear, rewards have to be in place, all that. So all the behavioral contingencies have to be in place so that you're assured that you're doing a good program. Um, you also need to make sure that you are not trying to teach things that have uh, prerequisite skills that have not yet been taught. So in other words, if I'm trying to teach, let's say, full sentences using uh, descriptors and past tense, I want to make sure that I have first taught the descriptors separately and the past tense separately all the various prerequisite skills are present um, so that I can now put them together in a more complex lesson. So that's all the behavioral stuff. But I think what's ju uh, just as important and maybe even more at this point is to look at other factors that might be influencing your child's learning. And these are lots of different things. So is your child sleeping well? Uh, you want to make sure that they are sleeping well. Has their diet changed? Um, any kind of dietary change could reduce or increase attention. So you want to make sure that those types of things are, are uh, you know, dealt with or considered. Is there any kind of medical issue going on? Um, for example, sometimes our kids start to develop subclinical seizures and we're not really aware uh, because these are seizures that can't really be seen uh, but yet they're happening so it would be very important to have an EEG done at least an electroencephalogram to see if your child is having seizures seizures will plateau things and they will also delay they will your some children even lose skills with seizures. So that's important. Um, of course, uh, dietary factors, as I mentioned, are very important because sometimes if we're eating things that are, uh, that we're not able to digest, I don't wanna call it uh, that we're allergic to, but if we're not able to break down certain proteins, then that could lead to kind of fogginess uh, so that the child is not able to pay attention because they're just not focused enough. Um, is, it could also be possible that the child is developing some um, attention deficit types of issues, often also related to diet, but could be other factors. Um, so you need to look at all the kind of biochemistry, biology, um, I think I, if it was me, I would probably start by looking at diet first. A lot of times when kids plateau, um, your dietary stuff or fungal sometimes, um, I'd want to consult with a physician who practices in these types of areas for autism and make sure there's nothing that I could do sort of from a biochemical perspective to help the child uh, wake up a little bit, pay better attention, and then I want to make sure the lesson plan and everything that I'm working on is rewarding. So I think those are the main things, but that's how I troubleshoot. I look at all those different areas. And then if you can't find something there, then obviously you have to keep going deeper. 
And, uh, you know, ultimately you end up doing things like making sure that everything is okay in the brain with brain scans and so on. But I don't think you're there. It is very common um, for kids to plateau at different stages. They either can get bored with things or, as I said, they can be, uh, they can start losing attention. Uh, the lesson needs to be fun and challenging and rewarding and the child needs to be in, in their best shape uh, in terms of sleep and diet and biochemistry. So those types of things need to be in place and that's where I would focus first. Okay, um, while I'm re get, responding to that and getting to the next question, I'm gonna try something and, and our viewers know that I can't walk, talk and chew gum at the same time. But I'm gonna stop sharing this screen and I'm gonna try to, um, so, you can, so you guys can see me for a second, but now I'm gonna try to share a screen and just do the application window um, and see if I can get just Zoom. It does not like that. All right, so we're gonna go back to the, what we were doing before. Uh, that's what we're gonna do. Okay, so, but you know what I was thinking, Dr. Grampiche, when I read this, I totally didn't relate to the question at all. Like it didn't ring a bell with me at all. But as you were talking, of course, it reminded me that we went through a little phase where, um, and I don't know if it was this age, I think it was a little bit older, where it seemed like, I, I recall feeling like, oh, okay, well, I guess things are slowing down. But what we actually discovered was that my son needed to go on a slightly different diet. Um, and, and it was Card who helped us to realize and say, okay, you know, um, that he was eating like three things only. Yeah. And they were three, and, and he was on a gluten-free, casein-free diet, but he was eating carbs. Everything he was eating was white. Yeah. He was having like white rice, uh, white potatoes, and you know, chicken that was rolled in a rice flour, and that's all he was eating. Yeah. And um, so we went on for a very brief period of time with a doctor's uh, help. We went on a specific carbohydrate diet, supercharged. Suddenly, he was making the same kind of progress again um, in his. Uh, programs. So um, lots of different things to look at, yeah. but, um, but, you know, I mean, I feel like every diet, every child has a different biochemistry and different diets are good for different kids. But it's funny you should say that because, uh, and maybe some of our viewers don't know, but I'm, I'm really, really thrilled that I have the opportunity um, to uh, present a, about the biochemical aspects of autism or the medical aspects of autism in, in conjunction with the ABA, uh, kind of working together at the, at the ABAI auto, uh, conference that's coming up. The ABAI is Association for Behavior Analysis International. It's the big conference for BCBAs. And that's coming up in, at the end of this month. And my talk is about this subject. And it's funny because as I was putting slides together for that a couple of days ago, um, I noticed that there's a lot of children and I don't, I don't know, it just so it's coincidental maybe uh, because I'd never noticed this before. Uh, but I have a couple of kids whose data I'm presenting who also had a sudden jump in their skill acquisition, so learning rate, uh, when they switched over to a SCD diet, a specific carb diet. So that's sort of strange, isn't it, Shannon? Because it had never occurred to me that that diet kind of like reduces fogginess, because I've always thought that it's just, it's good for some kids, but not across the board. Well, and you know, and I don't know, because I, I only know my, my scientific realm, my Petri dish is my kid. And, um, but I know that we, through a lot of the young years, we battled yeast really, you know, and for people who don't know what that looks like, I mean, it has a, you can Google yeast and find a whole bunch of protocols and things. But um, my son was just silly. It was like he was drunk. Yeah. I called him the, the drunken elf. He would walk through the living room and bump into things. And then he would laugh hysterically and he smelled like uh, fresh baked buns. I used to love to smell his head because it smelled like a bakery. Um, but then eventually it got so bad that his breath smelled like he had been drinking. And I assure you, 
Um, you know, my child hadn't been drinking, you know, <laughs> saying there was no alcohol in the house for him to get into. And I was with him 24 seven. So, um, but, you know, and we did a bunch of different things, but the specific hard carbohydrate diet, and we didn't do it for very long. I know people that do it longer, um, really short period of time. I want to say that it was like 17 days. Um, wow. and it was, and it was a crazy 17 days. And then we, and then we were much more mindful about what his diet was. Um, but the soup, the specific carbohydrate helped uh, a lot. There was a specific book that we used that was called breaking the cycle. Um, that helped me to, to get through that breaking the cycle. I remember cause I had it in, in the trunk of my car for the longest time because I would go like, we would go to a play date or something at the park and somebody would say something and I would go, I have the book with me. It's in my trunk. Um, and we would talk about it. Okay. So I, I think that's cool that you're going to be presenting on that. And it's wonderful that a scientific mind like yours is looking at it. Uh, okay. Next question. And by the way, you guys, even though we're in this weird format and believe me, we will rebroadcast this in a better format later on. Um, but you can still be writing in questions on Facebook and YouTube. Um, all right. My son, uh, my grandson toe walks, mm -hmm. and I am told that this is a sign of autism. I see that he is different than the other children. I have commented a couple of times and been met with disapproval. Like I'm a traitor. Is there something I can or should do? We hear this a lot from family members, right? You see, you see a sign. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but um, there's this lovely little part of autism that I call um, the river in Egypt, denial, um, <laughs> right? Where, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, everybody goes through it. So for this grandparent, what do you suggest, Dr. Grandpa? What a, um, what a wonderful thing um, for this grandparent. I also, by the way, sorry to our viewers, I wanted to, I forgot, but I wanted to say a few uh, just like good job and re reinforcing words to the previous parents as well, because they are uh, doing an intensive program and it sounds like they're doing everything for their child and I, I forgot to say that because it's always lovely when I hear that it's like a four or five year old still getting 30 hours. Um, so now back to this one, sorry, but good job to this grandparent who is worried about this scenario. Um, I would suggest, it, it is one of the symptoms um, of autism. It doesn't necessarily mean that it couldn't be something else. Uh, but it is definitely uh, one of the symptoms we classify. Um, it, it also occurs when kids have issues with uh, constipation or diarrhea. So it could just be a GI issue as well. But what I would do is I would um, go online if you can, or if you can't, just write to Shannon and we will send it to you. Uh, and you, you can Google... Uh, diagnostic criteria for ASD and uh, it comes up all the, the list of all the behaviors and symptoms that we look for they come they pop up and you might want to show that to your um, son or daughter and uh, maybe ask them to think about it and maybe explain that uh, you're not trying to say anything or suggest anything, but you just want them to consider it because early intervention is so key in autism. Uh, and you know, if it's a two-year-old, it's much better than if it's a three-year-old. So you're just trying to help them be aware of something that they might become aware of later. You're just trying to speed things up for them. So that's where I would go because there's other areas that need to be looked at. And uh, if they look at that list and they feel like, okay, well, maybe some of these things might apply, um, then they might, they will be much more likely to make an appointment and actually see a professional who can tell them yes or no. And that's probably how you start. And, and you know, just to give you an idea, other things that you could be looking for are sensory sensitivities. Some of our kids have a lot of sensory reactions that are not typical 
Uh, of course, a delay in social communication. I'm assuming this is a little guy because it hasn't been diagnosed yet. So uh, we're looking at things like delays in eye contact, delays in like we will not respond to name when called um, or preferring to do their own activity and you have to repeat things several times before they pay attention. Uh, you know, not being able to have uh, a, a look at you and, and like infer information from looking at their environment. They kind of <clears throat> feel like they're more isolated or, or in their own world. Uh, those are the types of things that to me, and, and then of course, language is usually delayed when, when we diagnose. So those are the types of things that I look for. And then there's the presence of self-stimulatory behaviors as well. And those could vary. Uh, toe walking is one of them, but there are other self-stimulatory behaviors like lining up toys or flicking on and off the lights in a room or opening and closing the door multiple times, looking at ceiling fans or things that turn around, uh, looking at, at um, reflections or shadows of things. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you could be considered symptoms. Okay. I'm going to join you back here, I think. Um, oh. So uh, since uh, COVID... My eight-year-old with high function, and can I just go back and say about that other one too, that it's so hard, you know, I also have this issue in, in you know, that I am never sure what to say and when to say and how to say, and, you know, when I think that somebody should have a child looked at, it's a really dicey thing. Yeah. Um, and you never quite know, you know, what to do. You never know quite what to say, but um, I think it's better to say something than not say something. And I know that that's easy for me to say because it's not my kid. I keep thinking about what would I do if it was Jem's kid. Um, but I do know that the friend who finally said something to me, I'm forever indebted to. And there were a lot of people who later on said, oh yeah, I thought your kid had autism, but they didn't say. Um, and, and I still don't trust them. I'm just going to be honest. Well, it's just that people are, they don't want to be the bearers of bad news. Yeah. You know? And autism is a scary thing. And just telling someone right off the bat is, is pretty difficult. I mean, when I diagnose uh, kids, I'm very, very cautious uh, about how I do that and how I explain things to the family because it's going to be very uh, overwhelming and, and scary. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Go into this next question. Since COVID, my eight-year-old with high-functioning autism seems to be unraveling. He is anxious all the time. Won't go out, isn't sleeping well, melts down. Anytime a routine is altered, I'm very worried. What can I do? And they didn't say isn't sleeping well. They said isn't sleeping. Yeah, yeah, I feel so bad. That's terrible. And that's exactly the kind of stuff that I fully am worried about for a lot of our families right now. Um, let's reestablish how we can make uh, things a little bit better for this little guy. Uh, like, do a full kind of evaluation of what's going on with his life. And how can we, within the parameters of what we're stuck with, with COVID, how can we make things better? Um, so clearly he, ha he does have anxiety. Let's start there. Um, and anxiety, of course, is, is fear. And what is causing his fear? He probably, being eight, has some understanding of, of COVID. And this is, Shannon, kind of what I was telling you in the beginning was that I'm very concerned. I was telling our viewers in the first couple of weeks that I'm very concerned about how we communicate about COVID to our kids because um, they're curious, they hear things. A lot of our kids are seeing things on TV. A lot of times they're on the internet. Remember when we had 9-11 happen and we all were like, okay, I'm not, I can't turn off the TV for a few days because we don't want our kids to see that, right? Unfortunately, with COVID-19, it's not a few days, it's, it's months of this stuff. And 
uh, you turn on any social media or wherever and you will hear about, you'll see definitely a picture of this bacteria and how it enters and death rates and all this sort of stuff. And it's scary. It is, it can be very scary. And uh, if it's a child who has somewhat of an understanding, uh, they are going to be very terrified thinking that it might affect their family members or themselves or uh, whatever. It's just going to be a very scary thing for them. So the first thing is, and, and they might also hear you, uh, parents, talking about it or being worried about it. So, uh, on, uh, you know, I know it feels wrong, but I feel like you need to kind of celebrate this time with your child and turn it into something more positive. In the beginning of this period, uh, my kids who were in their 20s were just kind of like, oh, you know, now we're not going to be able to go out or see our friends or do anything or whatever. And I was like, just think of it as an extended Christmas. Because, you know, during Christmas, we all gather and the family's very close and we do fun things. And it's like about four or five days during that time where we just are family and we do puzzles and all that sort of stuff. And, that, and of course, so it was like turning this negative period of time into a positive mindset, which is, wow, look how awesome this is. You don't have school or you know, you can do school at home and we get to go, you know, play together and spend time together. You have to turn it into a positive thing for your child, first of all. And then, and if they have knowledge, answer their questions. Tell them that it's, it, it always, it's like a cold. Make it a little bit smaller in their mind than, than what it might be. Um, and tell them the rules are we just have to stay safe and stay away from people but we, and we wash our hands. And when you wash your hands, you get rid of the germs and all that sort of stuff. Just make it very factual. And then um, more importantly, uh, start to set up routines and schedules for your child because nothing provides a sense of security more than a routine or schedule. Nothing for all of us. So set up a schedule and, and help your child adhere to that schedule. Make sure it's a fun schedule. Make sure it's positive. Um, have, you know, go outside, include, as I said in the first weeks, include things that are more, uh, you know, like some physical activity, a little bit of crafts, arts and crafts, a little bit of maybe adaptive skills, daily living, like in the home, maybe cooking, preparing a sandwich, uh, do some arts. Uh, of course, we all have to do some academics right now. Uh, do some ABA if you have a provider who can help you do that. Just, you know, kind of mix up the day. Keep your child busy. If you can, and I know this is what's very hard as most of our parents also work, but if you can spend a full day uh, setting up the schedule for your child and kind of going through the schedule with him, and rewarding every phase and just turn it into like a Disneyland type experience. Like, isn't this fun? This is awesome. What else can we do? Let's go and do this. Let's go and do that. Keep him busy um, with activities. Make sure they're rich in reinforcement. So activity, a lot of reinforcers throughout the day, things that the child enjoys. Do that for, a, and you don't have to be part of it, of course, yourself, because you might be busy, but make sure this really highly reinforcing schedule is in place for a full week. And then gradually start to put in more demanding type stuff so that it starts to be more manageable. But you always have to, when a child is anxious or depressed, you have to snap them out of that by kind of shaking up their, their environment and their setting and putting in a ton of rewards and reinforcers just to kind of you know, get them out of their mold. Again, another thing is don't worry about too many things. Like under normal circumstances, we're often worried about uh, is he watching too much TV? Is he online too often? That kind of stuff. It doesn't matter if he's watching more TV than usual. If he's online a lot, it doesn't matter as long as he's online with safe uh, places or other people. Uh, so make sure that you are allowing maybe some of the reinforcers that you wouldn't allow before. 
Um, the same thing with foods, like we're, we're strict with our kids sometimes, but during this time, you've got to be a little bit more flexible with things and just make sure that uh, there is a lot of reward. And then if he's asking a lot of questions about it, make sure that you answer those questions truthfully, but keep them uh, pleasant, keep them uh, you know, uh, don't, don't answer with anything that could potentially in the child's mind become more frightening than, than it really needs to be. And then of course, last is, you know, model, model behavior for your child, uh, uh, which means be happy yourself in the environment at home. Uh, don't worry, don't be anxious, try to do things together that are, take your mind off of, of these days. Uh, you know, when, when I used to go through difficult times when my kids were young, I would always do uh, shared arts and crafts with them because it would help them and it would help me as well keep busy. And so those are the types of things you have to do right now, which essentially means you also need to kind of take care of yourself in order to be able to help. Sleep is a different issue. Um, you know, I highly recommend, uh, uh, melatonin. It's very harmless. It's something we produce ourselves. There's lots of different types of melatonin. As you know, Shannon, I uh, love tranquil sleep. Um, it's very helpful. You really need to help your child sleep. sleep. Not sleeping or having minimal sleep automatically leads to depression and anxiety. So, uh, you know, it's a bad cycle. So you definitely want to work on the sleep as well. Okay, I'm going to see. Oh, look, my camera is working now. Ah, there I am. Okay. Um, so I loved all of your answers and it really, it made me think about so many things that um, we've all had something happen in our life that was difficult, right? And if you think back to the time when something was difficult, there's, it, when, when there's time and space between you and the difficult thing, there are some happy memories that go along with the thing. Like I can think about being in the intensive care unit um, with a parent that was very sick and we didn't know if they were going to die. And, um, and yet, you know, there was a moment of hilarity that happened in the intensive care unit. And now with time and space and knowing that it turned out okay and that the parent lived, that's the memory that I have is that moment when we were, you know, this moment of hilarity in the intensive care unit. So um, I know that right now we're all under so much stress and nobody knows what the end of the story is and that that creates stress for all of us. But if we remove that from the story for our kids, like our kids don't have the capacity to deal with that right now. But, it, but as you said, this is a time where we could be doing happy, happy things. And the truth is that later on, that is what we will remember. And that is most certainly what they will remember. Um, and it's hard. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that you struggle with this too, Dr. Grampichet, and so do I. But I'll clip along and, you know, everything will be okay for a few minutes. And then I go, what's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> and I want an answer. I want to know, like, I want to know, like, on this day, you know, things are going to be exactly this way. And I'm an adult, so I get to know that I'm not going to get that. That is yeah. not possible. To be, and I just got to manage it, right? Mm -hmm. But I can give that, even to my 16-year-old, um, I can give that to him and keep things on an even keel. Because I keep thinking of the movie Life is Beautiful. Uh, if you guys haven't seen where, where they get taken into a concentration camp, and the dad is determined to make it so that his child does not think that this is anything horrible. Yeah. So he makes it like it's this big game. And there isn't a happy ending to that, but I know, I know we're all gonna have a happy ending um, and that we're gonna get back to something close to what our life is like, but we're gonna take what we learned from this. I think that's, when we say the new normal, I hope that that's what we're talking about. So I just wanna encourage people, um, you know, if, if you could remove the fear element from it and say, you know, I don't know, fill it in for your head and say that by this and so date, everything will be back to normal. So I can take a breath right now and enjoy this. Um, because those are the memories you're going to have anyway. It reminds me, and I keep saying this over and over again, it reminds me of autism. 
that when my child was diagnosed, all I wanted was for somebody to tell me that I was going to wake up someday, four or five, six, seven, eight years later, and that everything was going to be okay and that I would be okay and that he would be okay and we would be okay. And I found it very difficult to be in the moment for a long time while we were doing therapy. I was so worried about the future that a lot of days I forgot to be in that moment with my kiddo and with myself. And I look back and the things that I remember are all the joy. I know that I was hysterical and, and freaking out most of the time, but I remember that at the end of the day with therapy, when the last therapist had left, we had such a hard time moving on to the next thing. So we instituted what I hear a lot of you guys are doing, which is dance party, where we would put on one song that might be a minute and 37 seconds, and the three of us would just dance like crazy people in the living room. And then I would go back to making dinner, and you know we would go back to whatever the things were that we were supposed to be doing that weren't therapy. And that's what I remember now, yeah. is the dance party. If you ask me, I mean, of course I'll remember and I'll go, oh, well, I remember the day when they taught him that, or I remember the day that he had a hard time with that. I can also remember those things, but that's not what my memory of it is. My, my memory, because I have the end of the story, is that we danced every night in the living room. So I'm, I just hope that for everybody, whether your kid is actively showing you the anxiety or not, I think they're all having it, um, do, do everything that you can to make it as fun as possible because six months from now, a year from now, we're all going to look and think about 10 years down the road, the stories that we're going to tell. Oh, you know what we did during the COVID thing? You know what we did during the great isolation? Oh, you know, the funniest thing that happened during that, those are going to be the stories we tell anyway. So maybe we should just focus on that now. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing, Shannon. Thank you for saying all that, because I think it, it was, it, you know, I suddenly, when you started talking about how you compared it to autism, I suddenly realized the fear that parents go through. And it's a very lonely experience, right? It's like, even though there's a whole world of autism, but it is a very frightening experience when someone says, you've now entered this world. And um, it is terrifying. And in some ways, it's the same fear that we have right now because we just don't know uh, if it'll end and when it'll end. It's funny you say that because it's like just before the show, I was saying to my husband, do you think life will ever go back to normal? And that's essentially the same exact feeling with autism. I, uh, thanks for saying that because that's the first time I realized that, that level of fear and, and kind of understood it. I do want to say something else you said to me about COVID early on. Uh, it was in some other call or talk we were having, and you mentioned something to me that's massively helped me, and maybe it'll help our viewers or the parents uh, in regards to what we're all going through right now, uh, which is different, I guess, than, than you know the whole autism thing, is that it's it's almost like you said something about but look at what's happening with nature mm. and it made me suddenly realize this whole thing about you know kind of the yin and yang of of the universe and how we as people were consumers and just taking in everything from our universe and as you know uh you know the ozone layer is healing right now as you know, uh, there are so many aspects of nature that are recovering just because we're not out there, just because we're not using, uh, you know, oil and stuff and driving our cars and all, all of that kind of stuff. There's an incredible uh, amount of positive that's kind of balance of nature is coming back. And so to me, it helps me whenever I think about that because it gives me I guess it helps me uh, see the positive side of it. There's no positive other than that, you know, but when you look at the positive side of that, 
it just makes me feel like I'm, I'm happy to be part of, I, I can stay at home because I'm happy to be part of the people who helped heal our universe again, uh, something like that. And, and also I do think that after this, uh, there will be a different view um, that we all as people have towards each other. I think humanity will improve. I think um, there will be more gratitude uh, for a lot of things that we were all taking for granted. So, you know, those are, those are some of the positives that will come out of this and it helps to remember those. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's been a big wake up call for everyone in so many different areas. I've heard everybody say, man, I, it's so funny because I had felt this and I didn't realize how many other people felt it, that we were all going at breakneck speed, not knowing where we were going to. But that it was just, you know, every, you know, you got up in the morning and you did, 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 and then you got in bed at night. And, and, and I can remember thinking a couple of months ago about, you know, well, this, this, this can't go forever. What, like, what is it? Retirement that comes? And then you slow down, like, what, like, how do we, you know, do this? Cause I've got a kid who's in high school and there's a certain amount of, and I thought it was just me, but now hearing that everybody's had to slow down, everybody's like, you know, I just, I kept asking myself how long could I keep up this pace? People oh, whose careers are completely different. Yeah. Um, and, and it just makes me think, okay, you know, everything, everything affects everything else. So I, I'm hopeful we'll, with where we will come out of this. And I said early on that one of the things that was helping me was reading um, literature from other times of quarantine. Uh, like, you know, uh, reading F. Scott Fitzgerald writing letters about what it was like being quarantined in Europe um, and, and that it felt like it was going to go on forever and that it could never possibly end and people could never be safe again. And knowing that, that, that the end of that story, that it all worked out and everybody was okay. And I also, you know, one of the things early on for me, because um, you said it feel, autism feels like you're on a planet by yourself. You know, you feel completely alone. And I, I talk about that all the time with our parents. Um, but as Jem was finishing his card program, I had this dream that I've written about and talked about where I was standing and, and watching a car with a woman driving it and the car rolled. And the woman rolled out of the car and she was wearing this big jacket. And as she rolled, babies were coming out of her jacket. And people in the parking garage would roll with her. They would take her in her arms and roll with her a few feet. And when they would separate, they would keep a baby and she would keep rolling into somebody else's arms who would take a baby, so on and so wow. forth, until she finally rolled all the way around in the parking lot to me. And I was the last person to scoop her up. And, and she looked up at me and it was me. It was me holding on to me. And she looked up to, at me with this like sheer terror in her eyes. And she said, oh my gosh, did you see what happened to me? Oh my gosh. And I said to her, did you see how many people's arms you were in? Wow. Because, because for me, what, when I was going through autism, I did not see how many people with, with my son. I didn't personally go through autism with my son. Uh, I went through autism. Uh, but I did not see how many people's arms we were in. But we were always in so many people's arms. There were people who were caring about us and about him that I didn't even know. And, and I think that's true for all of us, that even now, I believe that we are in a lot of people's arms. There are scientists who are working to find a way to make sure that we can all be safe and healthy, and we don't know them but we are in their arms and that helps me. Um, and you know that I always say to you guys, I, and I said to you before, Dr. Grampuche, that sometimes I just like to tell our audience about people that are working on things that they don't know be, and remind them, see, you're in people's arms yeah. and you don't even know. It. Yeah. So anyway. What an amazing dream. Oh, I have crazy, crazy dreams. about that. Oh my goodness. I have, I have crazy, crazy weird dreams. Um, I've told you about some of my dreams, but well, <laughs> I digress greatly. Okay. So, uh, next question being at home. Oh, this is a hard one. Being at home has made me realize that my husband does not accept our son's diagnosis. Oh. 
I think I always knew it, but he was at work and it was easier for me to pretend. Bless you, I'm, se you're, I'm sending you hugs. You're in people's arms. He has not learned what I have learned. He yells at our son and tells him to stop humming, which our child does all the time. I cannot bear to have him yell at our son. I would leave, but I have nowhere to go. Is there any hope? What can I do to get my husband to stop yelling at him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Tough one. Um, years ago, we used to have a very lovely dad with us, Nancy's husband, who oh. used to uh, hold the, help us as we held these uh, sessions for fathers. Um, a lot of fathers have difficulty with this, and a lot of fathers are in denial. Um, it is, it's super important because there's, I think what I learned from those sessions from Reed was that uh, dads in particular, moms, you know, like moms, when something's going on with our child, we uh, turn in, a lot of times we just turn into a warrior and we're just like, I'm going to slash through whatever wall is ahead of us and open the path for you and just let's keep going. And, um, and, and dads, I feel like they personalize it and more in some ways, or some dads do, and they start thinking, uh, you know, it's a reflection of them, and then they have a very, very hard time coping with it. So, you know, nothing, it's, it's going to be very hard. Everybody has a different, I guess, ability to accept difficult things. It's going to be difficult for your husband to accept any of this stuff unless, to, to like, know how to deal with your son unless he is a little bit more accepting of the diagnosis. So, you know, it, it's really important, I guess, for him to have his own experience of, of this. I think what ends up happening sometimes with us as moms is that we are trying to convince our spouses and they become more and more defensive. So I don't think you need to, you, you will be successful if you try to do anything about this. I do think at this time, you're probably your best bet is to uh, just, you know, keep your child occupied and away from him so that you and your child are not in harm's way. Um, and uh, then I think that he will benefit from maybe uh, you know, reading more, listening to, I mean, there's so much information about autism and how it affects us. I, I'm not sure how, what he's open to, but what I'm trying to say is that it, it's his journey. He has to find it out for himself. And, and until that happens, I guess the only thing you can really do is to, uh, you know, try to keep your child protected. Yeah. I, I have to say that, you know, I think, I'm oh, sorry, what did you say, Doreen? I said it's just so tough. This is It is tough. tough. Well, and especially when you're locked at home. I think when, when you can distance, you know, it's a little bit yeah. easier to pretend, like the mom said. I do want to say that I don't know a single couple that didn't go through this in some aspect or form. Yeah. Um, that, it, you know, when people say, oh, well, you know, th this, we would like for the parents to be on the same page. And I go, like, how could that ever happen? We're coming in with different experience. We have different fears. We have different priorities. Like, you know, for any parents with a kid with autism or not, it's very hard to be on the same page every day. Um, it's next to impossible when your child, when there are decisions that have to be made that affect your child's life almost on a daily basis. And, and so I, I, I want to just put some hope into this parent's backpack that there have been a lot of parents, and, and a lot of times it's the dads, although sometimes it's a mom, right? Um, that people have come around. People have come around. Um, I don't think it was from somebody nagging at them or threatening them, or but people have come around. Um, and there are cases where people don't, and where the parents separate, and the parent goes away, and that breaks my heart. Um, but, but the one thing that my mother, my mother who was very happily married for a lot of years, and I waited a lot of years before I got married. Um, but the one thing that my mother taught me is that marriage is a, a two person dance. And if somebody doesn't want to dance, it's not your fault. And, you know, you, you, you want to cut yourself some slack there. Um, that if, if somebody won't dance with you and you give them plenty of opportunities, it's not your fault.
and yeah, yeah. it's sad. That's right. That's right. It's very difficult. I just remember this parent that I had, this mom who came in and it was a single mom in that case. And she was very, very just angry at the world and at her child and so on. And, and what took, what worked for her was me just stopping the conversation about her little girl and talking more about her and uh, uh, I guess acknowledging the pain she was in. And that's maybe what your husband needs is acknowledgement of his own pain. Uh, because until you can acknowledge your own pain, you're just angry. Until someone in the world acknowledges that you are in pain, you're angry because you feel like no one understands. And that anger could be what you're seeing is that he's angry at his son. Uh, but it's because of his own pain. And so sometimes it might be important to acknowledge uh, that, that, you know, he's in pain as well. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. We filmed uh, one of those talks with Reed and we still have not gotten it out to the world. Um, it, it's called Facing Fatherhood. And, and um, I think initially we weren't thrilled with some of the sound in it, but the message in it is so important. I need to resurrect that. And your daughter was instrumental in that project. That was Nikki's project. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and it was called Facing Fatherhood. And it really, yeah, I, I, it's the first time that I ever saw a group of dads, and we have it recorded, where they sit and they talk and, and they get honest with each other. And it's, it, it's devastating as a, as a wife. Yeah. Um, and, I, and then, you know, part of what was hard is, is that on the video read, Nancy's husband who passed away, on it, he, you know, each one of the dads um, talked uh, to their baby mamas about, because some of them were still together and some of them weren't, um, about, you know, how they felt about them as a mom. And, and Reed said in his, he said, you know, what I most want to say to my wife is please don't ever die because I can't do this without you. Ugh. And then Reed died. Um, so we kind of held it up for that for a while too, cause it was poignant, but I think it's time. I think in Reed's memory, we gotta, we gotta resurrect that. Um, in any case, this has been a wild and wooly show. And I just want to thank everybody. And I want to thank Dr. Grand Pichet for sticking in and we're going to fix all of our technical issues and move on with life. But I know that Dr. Grand Pichet needs to go to a meeting. I thank you so much. I uh, want to remind everybody, Dina Kimmel from We Rock the Spectrum Kids Gyms is with us tomorrow. Uh, until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye.